from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew, 16th chapter. We pick up in the 21st verse. Jesus has set his sights now for Jerusalem. This is right after Peter has made that confession of his that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And that's where we pick up reading. From that time on, following Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in exchange for their life? The Word of the Lord. Amen.
Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, with that music still ringing, calling us to a sacred moment, speak in new ways from your old words that we might leave this place better prepared to follow you and only you. Amen. In our sermon series this Lent, as you heard Mary read in the opening word, we're talking about practices for our journey toward the cross. And today, on the third Sunday, our practice is self-denial. Now, every Tuesday, the members of our staff who are going to be in worship the coming Sunday get together and we meet and sort of go through things. And in the middle of that meeting, one of our colleagues said, you know, it's really ironic that we're going to have a sermon on self-denial, and then we're going to go out to a table full of donuts and cookies and sweet breads. And it's true, something sweet and tempting will be out there in a minute. But his words really made us all think about the layers of temptation in our lives and what it really means to deny ourselves, to take up a cross, and to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you have a Lenten practice of giving something up. Maybe not. It hasn't been very consistent in the Presbyterian church across time, but many will deny themselves something they enjoy during Lent. And I always like this moment because I learn a lot about the things that church members enjoy as they tell me what they're giving up for Lent. So far, my list is dessert, sweets. Those were two different people, and I'm not sure how they're defining those things. Soda, wine, all of it apparently, red meat, bread, french fries, Fortnite, that's a video game, and hamburgers. Now, I don't know how many hamburgers somebody eats in 40 days that makes this something they need to give up, but good on them. Or maybe you've changed something about how you use your time. Like in our household, we've each committed to a different practice for this Lenten journey, like not going down the rabbit hole of social media or getting sucked into internet news or watching baking competition shows or playing a flight simulator game when you're supposed to be doing something else. I'll let y'all guess which Lamont goes with which different practice. Now this isn't random, this denying ourselves something during Lent. Throughout the Bible, as we heard in the scripture from Daniel that uh, John just read for us, people fasted, people purified themselves as a ritual of preparation and of observing some sacred space. In that story, Daniel has been in mourning and he's been fasting for three weeks. And we also deny ourselves to get ready getting ready for what's coming with Easter and remembering very literally a 40-day period that mirrors the time when Jesus was in the desert, tempted by Satan for 40 days. More on that in a minute. So when we give something up, we're acknowledging that we are bombarded by temptations. And we're trying to follow the example of Jesus, to turn ourselves back toward God by refusing to give those temptations power over us. Now this sermon, a conversation about denial and temptation, could go a lot of ways because we're tempted in a lot of different ways. 
I've made a list here of a few, but I invite you to consider where in your life you're being tempted. Sometimes it's small things, like those donut holes or eating something that we know is not good for us. Or a bigger thing, like a way that we use up our time and God's good gifts that separate us from each other and God. Sometimes we're tempted in ways that shape our very identity, like we're tempted to promote ourselves at someone else's expense. Think about how elections work in our country. Winning is far more valuable than how you speak about your opponent. Think about how workplaces work. Maybe many of you have been in a situation where a promotion meant someone else's loss. Think about the last tidbit of juicy gossip someone shared that you were tempted to share so you could feel like you were in the know on the inside, even though you also knew sharing it would hurt someone else. My mama has always said to me, no one ever looked good by making somebody else look bad. Did your mama say that too? And yet we do it all the time. We're regularly tempted to think that we're entitled to happiness, to comfort, to success, that our well-being is really more valuable than someone else's. We've seen this on a national stage in the last couple of weeks through this FBI Varsity Blues sting operation. Nod your heads if you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, it's been a big scandal with coaches and parents and college administrators being charged with cheating and bribery. The way it worked was that parents used their power and their privilege to buy their children seats in college. So a kid who'd never played a sport was accepted as an athlete, for example. Quite literally, kids promoting their own children's future unearned at the expense of a child who might actually have earned that seat in college. Now, I think probably no one in here has been involved in a cheating scandal at some college or university, I hope. But I bet we have, at some time or another, been tempted to think that our future really is more important than someone else's, so we're justified in pursuing it, even at someone else's expense. And perhaps most insidious of all, we're tempted all the time to believe that we govern our own lives. We fall into the lie that we make our own way, that we don't need other people or a community to hold us up. We're tempted to believe that we make our own plans and we forget about God's plan for us and for the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of my favorite theologians to read and study, talks about temptation as forgetting. He calls it forgetfulness of God. Now, in 1937, there was a group of pastors in the Confessing Church who shared a Bible study that Bonhoeffer led. He's the same theologian who would later be arrested and imprisoned in a concentration camp and executed in part for his resistance to Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. But before that, he led a Bible study. Many of us have participated in such a thing. But the topic of the whole study, every time they met, was temptation. 
Those studies have been saved and they're put together in a book. And I love how Bonhoeffer describes temptation. Here's what he says. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. Whether it's ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money, joy in God is extinguished in us. At this moment, God is quite unreal. Satan does not here fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. Not hatred, but forgetfulness. That sure resonates with me, friends. I think very few of us actually turn away from God on purpose. We don't usually decide to defy God or to ignore God's plans. We may be hesitant to answer, but we don't usually reject God. It's more like Bonhoeffer's image that we forget. We lose sight of God's activity in our lives because we're distracted, we're willful, and we're tempted to think that we are the goal of our own lives. And when that happens, we miss out on the deep joy that comes from following in faith. I think this is exactly what's happening to Peter in the text that Larry just read for us from Matthew's Gospel. And I have to say, I feel really badly for Peter. Does it make you cringe to hear this text a little bit? Because as Larry said, Peter thinks he knows the plan. And here in these verses, his whole world gets turned upside down as he finds out what self-denial means for followers of Jesus Christ. The plan Peter was working on was to be the rock on which Christ would build the church. Just as Larry mentioned, Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the eager student, the beloved disciple, the one who always knows the answer. And he's sort of jumping out of his seat to get it right. You went to school with people like this. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you were people like this. Peter, so self-assured, so confident, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He gets it right. That's the right answer. Jesus says to him, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That was the plan. Peter is going to be the foundation of Christ's body on earth. So we can imagine how shocked he is when he's over here gearing up to be the rock hears that he's not going to Church Growth 101 with Jesus because Jesus is going to be killed. Jesus tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to be raised. So that's the plan. Peter was right about who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, but the Messiah will suffer and die to be raised again. This isn't at all what Peter was expecting, or frankly, anyone else. They didn't think that Jesus would only have three years of ministry on earth and be crucified. They thought he would gain power and overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. So when Peter hears this, surely he was concerned and confused. He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. He says, God forbid it, Lord this must never happen to you. 
Who knows what emotions were in that moment. Maybe he was thinking, God forbid it, Lord, I don't want you to suffer. God forbid it. Surely you don't actually mean death. God forbid it. We can keep this from happening. You are the Messiah and you have the power to stop this. At the very least, he must have been thinking, God forbid it, Lord. We're just getting started. And this isn't part of the plan you just told me about. But whatever his reasons, Peter rebukes Jesus and he places himself in a position of authority. He steps out in front, so to speak. So Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. The rock has become the stumbling block. The one who was such an eager disciple is now not following in faith, but trying to change Jesus's path. Peter has forgotten about God's plan to reconcile the world. So now his answer is wrong. It's so wrong, in fact, that it brings to mind for Jesus the temptation of Satan. Now, when Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan tried to convince Jesus to forget about God's plan, tried to convince Jesus to promote himself and to use his power to avoid suffering and death. So when Peter says this to Jesus, he says, get behind me, follow Deny the temptation to pursue your own plans because the Messiah will save the world not by promoting himself or finding his own comfort, but by giving up his life. Not only does the life of the Messiah lead to the cross, but his followers have to give up their lives too. Jesus says, if any of you want to follow me, deny yourselves, take up your cross. So what does this mean for us in this time, in this place, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses? There's so much in this little tidbit of conversation between Peter and Jesus about how limited we are as humans and how mysterious is the divine. But as I've been reading this over and over this week, I've been struck by what it says about how uncomfortable we are with God's plan. To be sure, the contradiction of power perfected in weakness was just as hard in the first century as it is for Christians today. But here in our time, it seems absolutely foreign to think about giving up power when everything around us says, get more power. It seems bizarre not to control what we can It seems counterintuitive to follow instead of stepping out and trying to lead. Or to deny ourselves much of anything except for a 40-day window here during Lent. And yet Jesus has revealed a plan to give up power in order to reconcile the world to God. Following him will mean that we do the same. We'll deny our temptation to make ourselves comfortable and to put ourselves in charge. But there is good news. Taking up our crosses is not all burden or heavy weight. Remember what Bonhoeffer said about forgetting, that when we forget, we also miss joy. 
It's good news that we're called to take up our crosses because it frees us from a life where we're just worried about ourselves all the time, where we spend all our time scrambling after power or money or image or status or self-importance or affirmation or blah, 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 more, more, more. Maybe today we've been tempted by some sense of entitlement. Maybe we need this invitation back to a path of humility and gratitude. Or maybe our temptation is about pursuing control. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Maybe some of you are like this too. I feel better. I feel more confident when I have a plan to follow. Some of you who've worked with me are nodding your heads. I fight my discomfort by trying to create order. I sometimes get impatient to see what God has in store. And while I'm waiting, I pull a Peter and step myself out in front. And as a person who tries to control things and order what seems disordered, hear me when I share this good news. Taking up our crosses frees us from ourselves so that we can live for others. Following Jesus means we get to spend our time knowing each other, loving each other, not worrying about what credit we've gotten. It means we don't have to figure it all out on our own. That burden has been taken from our shoulders. Taking up our crosses means great joy because in Christ, we have gained life itself. In our opening words this morning, we prayed that we might not be tempted to self-promotion, self-indulgence, or self-determination, but that we might have the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. That mind led Jesus into relationships with people who had no status, people who were outcast. That mind led him to befriend the poor who could not indulge any kind of material whim. It led him to eat with people who had no illusions of control because they were at the mercy of the powerful. That mind calls us out of our circles, out of obsession with ourselves, into the wide boundaries of God's grace. We'll continue to face temptations, and sometimes they will be temptations to make ourselves great, to follow our own plans, but may we never be so self-obsessed that we forget about God or miss our call to follow the one whose path leads to the cross and to our salvation. Our prayer today is that God would free us from ourselves and give us the strength and courage to care more about our neighbor's well-being than our own, that God would give us the tenacity to speak up for the powerless, we have a medical emergency, Mike, are you all okay? to speak up for the vulnerable and those who are in need, to provide care wherever we can. May we have the courage never to be distracted from the joy of our salvation in God, but to step boldly behind our Lord 
into God's good future, a future of love and grace. Because here's the good news, friends. If we have the courage to follow, God will walk alongside us every step of that journey, now and forever. Amen.